So for those of you that were here last Sunday, you saw we, we read the part that Jesus washed the disciples' feet, showing them the kind of love that he expects them to love one another. We saw Jesus washing even the feet of Judas, the disciple that would betray him. By washing Judas' feet, Jesus is telling Judas that you still have a chance, that I still love you, I am here with you. Jesus is reaching out to Judas, even though he knows that he would betray him. Jesus, we are told, he loved his own to the end. He never stopped loving. Today, Jesus is still in the upper room with the disciples. He's still with them. He's teaching them. He's reminding them the things that he has taught them, but also preparing them for his own death. And in John chapter 13, verse 20, he says, very truly I tell you, whoever accepts anyone I send accepts me. And whoever accepts me accepts the one who sent me. He is giving them the final teachings. And he wants them to know Whoever is going to accept you as my disciple will accept me. In other words, there is no way we can reject the people that God sends to us and claim to accept God at the same time. He continues to say in verse 21, John 13, after he had said this, after he had said this, Jesus was troubled in spirit and he testified. He was troubled in his spirit. Now you should know that here Jesus has demonstrated his love for these disciples including including Judas. He has shown how he loves him. He has reached out to him and he continues to do that. And as he speaks here, he gets to a point where he is so troubled in his spirit that he decides to speak out. And he says, very truly I tell you, one of you is going to betray me. He is so troubled, the disciples can see his emotions, but they don't know it's about or it's because of Judas. They can tell he's troubled, but they cannot tell why. And so he speaks out, one of you is going to betray me. 
his disciples stared at one another at a loss to know which of them he meant. And one of them, the disciples whom Jesus loved, was reclining next to him. And Simon Peter motioned to this disciple and said, Ask him which one he means. Who is it that is going to betray him? And leaning back against Jesus, he asked him, Lord, who is it? And Jesus responds to this disciple, not to all the disciples, but to the one who asks. He says, it is the one to whom I will give this piece of bread when I have dipped it in the dish. Then dipping the piece of bread, he gave it to Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot. As soon as Jesus took the bread, Satan as soon as Judas took the bread, sorry, Satan entered into him. In our previous reading, we were told that Satan prompted Judas. And here the Bible says, as soon as he took the bread, Satan entered him. The first time it was a thought. An idea of betrayal had been planted in his mind. But at this time, Satan is now in control of Judah's actions. He has submitted to the, to the evil one instead of submitting to the Lord. Satan entered Judas. You know, I was thinking, if Judas were here today, and if he did today what he had done to Jesus, what would be our assessment of Judas? What will we say is the problem with Judas? How, how would we analyze him? And uh, when I look at our society and the way we analyze people when they do things that we don't like, things that uh, shock us, I think we would say Judas had uh, an abusive childhood. Or maybe he has a problem in his marriage. Maybe his marriage is failing. That's why he, he is angry. He, he, just to, he wants to do away with Jesus Christ. What would you think would be a reason that we would give today for someone like Judas? Maybe he's disappointed. The idea that this Messiah is going to die on the cross is not a good idea. Maybe he's disappointed because Jesus is not the kind of Messiah that he was expecting. 
But it really doesn't matter what we think of Judas. Because Judas is a man who makes a choice. And he will be accountable to God for that choice, just as you and me will be accountable to God uh, for every choice that we make while we are here. But let, let us move away from Judas and think about ourselves. What is it that would drive a Christian like you and me, to such a humiliating end? What is it that would make a Christian turn away from the Lord? And I think one of the, reason, one of the reasons that makes us as Christians turn away from the Lord is when we allow our flesh to overrule our Spirit, the Spirit of God that is in us. When we allow our flesh, the desires of our flesh, our sinful desires to overrule, to overcome the desires of the Holy Spirit in us. is when we listen to the flesh instead of listening to the Spirit. We turn away from the Lord when we allow the desires of the flesh to overrule the desires of the Holy Spirit. But we also turn away from the Lord when we don't deal with the deeper issues of our hearts. When we have underlying issues, uh, it could be unforgiveness. It's amazing that we have so many Christians who are struggling with forgiveness. Christians who are finding it so difficult to forgive those who have wronged them, while at the same time they are claiming that God has forgiven them. But we also have Christians who are struggling to accept God's forgiveness in their own lives. They have asked for forgiveness, they have repented, but they still feel the guilt because they have not accepted, they have not believed that this God they call upon hears them and he forgives them. And so that affects our relationship with the Lord. He, it also affects our fellowship with one another because you cannot walk with unforgiveness and at the same time enjoy the joy of the Lord. We turn from the Lord when we allow the desires of our flesh to overrule the desires of the Holy Spirit. We turn away from the Lord when we don't deal with the deeper issues of our hearts. But we also turn away from the Lord when we allow our culture to dictate our faith. 
One of the things that uh, my wife and I decided is that our children will never do sports on Sunday morning. And they know it. Because we want them to realize that our worship on Sunday morning, the gathering that we have with God's people is more important than anything else. We don't want to send a wrong message to them. When they grow up, they will make their own decisions. But we will not look unto them and say, we wish we had gone with them to church. We wish we had restricted them. We wish we had led them this way. And therefore, Will G and Regency can do any sports they want, but not on Sunday morning. I'm not saying that's what you should do. It's, that's your responsibility as a father and as a mother. But there is so much pressure in our culture that is trying to shape us to a different mold. It's not shaping us to be like Jesus, it's shaping us to be like someone else. And our children are part of that target. And therefore, as Christians, we need to be wise and you need to take some steps to protect those whom the Lord has given us to be responsible for. Jesus is troubled because of Judas. He's troubled not because of, his, of himself, but because of the one who would betray him. And the scripture is so clear. You look at Matthew chapter 26, verse 24 and 25. Matthew 26, 24 and 25. The Bible says, it's actually Jesus speaking. He says, the son of man will go just as it is written about him. That is going to happen. But woe to that man who betrays the Son of Man. It will be better for him if he had not been born. And when he says this, Judas in the room, the one who would betray him, said, Surely you don't mean me, Rabbi. You don't mean me. He is asking the same questions that the disciples are asking. Judas is an accomplished hypocrite. He knows how to pretend. Judas, if he was here today, he would know all the right hymns. He would know when to stand up and when to sit down. Judas among the disciples was the most educated one. He was the most accomplished. You wouldn't think he would be the one to betray Jesus. If he was at a church, probably he could be one of the elders. He was one of the twelve, 
that Jesus chose, he was one of the people who sat closest to Jesus. And yet, he is the one that turns to betray him. He made a choice, and he will be accountable for his choice. Jesus is not only troubled because of Judas, he's also troubled over everyone who rejects him. When we hear the gospel and we don't pay attention to it, it troubles Jesus. In fact, in Luke chapter 6, verse 46, he told his disciples, Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and you don't do what I say? It's another expression that reveals how troubled he was. So the disciples are asking, who is it? Jesus responds, the one I'm going to dip, uh, I'm going to give uh, the bread after I have dipped it. He gives it to Judas. Judah takes it, Judas takes it, and Satan enters him. And Jesus tells him, what you are about to do, do quickly. But no one at the meal understood why Jesus said this to him. Since Judas had charge of the money, and some thought Jesus was telling him to buy what was needed for the festival, or to give something to the poor. Look at this verse, the last verse, verse 30. As soon as Judas has taken the bread, he went out. And it was night. When you look at the Gospel of John, John talks so much about light and darkness. He talks about Jesus being the light of the world. In John 8 verse 12, he says, Jesus says, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me shall not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. In John chapter 1, he says the light that gives light to the world has come. The light shines in the dark and darkness cannot overcome it. Jesus is the light that we all need. He is the light that we all need. And apart from him, there is no other light. So when Judas walks out, he is walking away from the light into the darkness. And he is going to walk deeper into the darkness until he hangs himself. And I'm thinking of Judas and I wonder, as he walks out from that room, as he turns away from the light that has come to bring light to his own life, as he walks away from Jesus, does he pause and think and look back and desire to go back to the light? 
when he thinks of how Jesus has loved him and showed it by washing his feet, as he turns away to betray him, does he think of coming back to ask for forgiveness? And the sad thing is, he does not. He walks away from the light into the dark. And the next time we see him is when he is identifying Jesus as the person that needs to be arrested. The next time we hear about him after that is when he hangs himself. When he is filled with guilt and he realizes what he has done. And instead of turning to Jesus for forgiveness like Peter did, he goes ahead and he hangs himself. He plunges deeper into the darkness. Because every time we walk away from Jesus, we walk into the darkness. Because Jesus is the light that we all need. As believers, when we fail to forgive one another, we invite darkness to our lives. When we fail to love one another the way Jesus expects us to, we invite darkness to our fellowships and to our relationships. When we fail to do what we know the Lord is calling us to do, we are inviting darkness. Because apart from Jesus Christ, there is no light. He says in John chapter 12, verse 46, I have come into the world as a light so that no one who believes in me should stay in darkness. I have come into the world as a light so that no one who believes in me should stay in darkness. I remember a day I was walking with my mom in the dark. I think I was nine or ten. And my mom had a habit of wanting to hold my hand when we were walking. And at nine, ten years, I felt like I was a big boy. So I hated it all the time. He, she, she held my, my hand. And this night as we walked going home, she held my hand again and I pulled it back. And I began to walk faster than her because that's the only way I can avoid her holding my hand. And my mom is walking and I am walking fast and she's calling me. And then I had... I don't know what animal it was. Maybe it was a cat, but there was a weird sound that I heard that scared me. And you know what I did? I ran back to my mom. I ran back to my mom, and this time she didn't have to hold my hand. I held her hand. I hung on her until we reached home. I was shaking. Because I realized that with her, 
I am safer. And Christians, Christians can only be safer with Jesus Christ. As Christians, our safety is not found on other things that we chase. It's not found on our life insurance. It's not found on our good houses or everything else that we run for. Our safety is found in Jesus Christ. And despite everything else that God allows us to have and to enjoy, we need to keep reminding ourselves that we are safer in the light and not in the darkness. We are safer in the light and not in the darkness. We need to remind ourselves that Jesus is the light that we need and that we will continue to need. And this is the same truth we need to teach our children that they are safer in Jesus Christ. He is the light that they need in their lives because this world and this culture is full of darkness. And only the light, Jesus Christ, can overcome it. But as Christians, we have to be the example. Because if we are the light that we are expected to be, if we follow the Christ that is the light of the world, then we must shine also. And we shine by loving one another the way Jesus loves us. We shine by being the Christ that the other person can see. That's why we say in this church that our desire is to connect with people from all walks of life. Because we know that's God's desire. He wants to connect with everyone. That's why Jesus was born in the lowest place on earth so that he could reach the lowest person. It doesn't matter where you come from. It doesn't matter what people say about you. You come to Christ. He accepts you and he transforms you. And that's what we want to be as well. So for all of you that have come here for the first time, don't even worry about what people think of you. We want you to know that we love you and it is our desire to love you the way God loves you. And we want to do our best to express that. Jesus is the light we all need and he is at work and he is in control. In that upper room, let me finish this by telling you these few things. In that upper room, Satan thought that he was in control. He thought that he, 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 he was the most powerful person. In that upper room, as Satan entered Judas to use him, he thought he was controlling everything. But even though Jesus was seated there, even though Jesus could see what was going on, he was still in control because God is always on his throne. 
He is on his throne when things are going well. He is on his throne when things are not going well. He is on his throne when I am at my best. He is on his throne when I'm experiencing pain. In that room, Jesus was the most powerful person. And we know that all power belongs to him. We know that because he is the light, he will shine in every darkness that we face. We know that because he is the light, he is at work in every darkness that comes to our lives. Every challenge that we find ourselves in. I remember my friend, he, he was a pastor that I highly respected. And then one day his family, his wife and three children had an accident and they died, all of them. And he was so quiet for a few days. And then one day he decided to speak. And the first thing he said was, I want nothing to do with Jesus again. He was so angry. He was disappointed. He was discouraged. He was at the lowest point of his life. And I remember visiting him. And the first thing he said to me was, Valerian, don't tell me anything about God and don't tell me anything about the Bible. If you are here to talk with me, we can talk, but don't mention anything about God or the Bible. Please, I ask you, don't do that. And you know what? When I was going, that's exactly what I was prepared to do. I was prepared to share with him a lot of scriptures. I was prepared to remind him that God loves him and that he cares for him. And so when he told me not to do that, I remained quiet. And so I sat there. And then he began to talk. What kind of a God allows this, 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 something like this to happen? What have I done? Tell me what I have done, Valerian. What have I done to God for him to do this? And he was bitter and he was crying. And I sat there and I listened to him. And I'm asking myself the same questions on his behalf. Yeah, why, why God? Why would you do this? And I stayed there maybe for an hour. And then after he had finished talking, I asked him, is it okay if I pray? And he said, I can't stop you from praying. And so I prayed a very short prayer. I said, God... I don't know 
why this is happening to this pastor. I don't know why you have allowed it to happen, and it doesn't make sense, but I know you do. You know why. And that's it. And I said in Jesus' name, amen. We shook hands and I left. I didn't see him for several months. He actually moved. The next time I saw him, he had remarried. He had a son. I think he was two years that time. And there was joy. You could see joy on his face. And we met and we hugged and we stayed silent for some time. And then I asked him, how are you doing? And he said, God is good. I'm doing well. And you know, for me, the image that I have is the image of that person who didn't want anything to do with God. So I asked him, what happened? And he looked at me and he said, you know, Valerian, I have gone through darkness in my life, but Jesus has always been the light that I needed. Things will not work out the way we may want at times, but Jesus will always be the light that we need. And even in those moments that we are confused, like the disciples, in those moments that we are in despair, in those moments that we have questions, instead of turning away from Christ, let us turn to him. He may answer our questions or he may not. But whatever he chooses to do, he will enable us to still remain in peace and still enjoy the joy that comes with him. He has a way of strengthening us so that we can remain hopeful. I want to encourage you, whatever challenge you face in your life, Remind yourself that Jesus is the light that you need. And in him, there is no darkness at all. Father, I thank you for your love for us. I thank you for your faithfulness. I thank you for your word. And I thank you, Lord, for every family that is represented here. I thank you for the good plans that you have for us. I thank you, Father, for the questions that your people have. I pray that you may speak to them. I pray that you may clarify things to them. I pray, Father, that you may fill them with your peace and give them the courage to take the steps that they need to take so that you may continue to be glorified in our lives and so that you may remain to be the light that shines through us. In Jesus' name, 
Amen.